Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely, and with me as always my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, July 19th, and today we're going to start by talking about some disappointing results at Netflix, and then we're going to move on to discussing a fascinating movie theater deal, the AMC Carmike merger, which is kind of turning into a drama that might have a rocky conclusion. But Chris, let's start a little bit with Netflix. I'll give a little bit of an overview. Uh, We last mentioned them in our April 11th podcast. They announced earnings last night, and uh, the Wall Street Journal described the earnings as a horror show, and the stock fell 15% on the news. So we can talk about why it was so bad. You can jump in with anything you want to, but why don't uh, you kick us off? It's movie night at the Rangely Podcast. All movies today. <laughs> um, so uh, Netflix, uh, horrors. I guess some people like horror shows, which I've never really, uh, really yeah, understood. Yeah, I, I cannot um, go to a horror show. Refuse to. I don't know why you want to scare yourself with the movies. I don't understand, but... Uh, I don't understand Netflix, actually, on a couple of grounds. But I would say, you know, this is not a value investment. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about a margin of safety, uh, kind of walking up next to a barn and shooting it with a shotgun, this is more like it can work, but you don't have a big margin of safety at its valuations. Uh, anything goes wrong, as this past quarter uh, did, uh, as per the market, stock straight down 15%. Yeah, so let's talk about why the quarter was so bad. So earnings actually topped analyst estimates. And a lot of people think, like Wall Street, oh, all they care, you hit your earnings per share number, you're going to do great. Well, uh, earnings actually beat estimates, but in this case, their subscriber numbers on both the domestic, the United States subscribers, and international side were well below what they had been estimating. Uh, their total subs were up 1.7 million versus forecast for 2 million. Uh, 160,000 domestic subs added versus their 500,000 sub forecast. 1.5 million internationally versus about 2 million forecast increase. So in this case, even though you beat on earnings per share, Wall Street's forward-looking and they're saying, oh my gosh, there are signs of issues with your core business because you're off by that many on your subscriber number. Uh, so I'll let you talk about why they missed subscriber numbers if you want, or I can jump in. Yeah, here. no, oh. these, these numbers were, um, gosh, they're big numbers, but the yeah, it's funny to say. expectations was highly, the way I'd say it is highly aspirational, you know, just like it had already priced in growth and a, and the pace trajectory of, of growth uh, and you fall off that a little bit and, uh, and you're in trouble. So we're going to talk about this in a second, but you know, as you said, Netflix is not a value stock. It's mm-hmm. priced at like 100 times forward earnings. And there are issues with forward earnings we can talk about, but it's priced at 100 times forward earnings. And when you grow by 170,000 subs and you had one quarter earlier said we're going to grow by 500,000 subs, well, that 100x multiple looks really daunting when mm-hmm. your growth rate is kind of a third of what you were projecting. So go ahead. You know, I always think that the easiest trick to be honest, is simply never promise anybody anything. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do something good, just do it and wait until announce the fact. But in this situation with a public company with a, a highly optimistic public market, you're not in that situation. Mm-hmm. You basically have made this audacious promise quarter after quarter that you have to either succeed or fail at. Yeah, and one thing Reed Hastings was saying, he was like, look, when we publish numbers, these are our internal estimates. You know, some people will say, oh, we're going to grow by 5% when their internal estimates are 10%. It's so a they trick. kind of sandbag the numbers. Reed Hastings says, we give you the same numbers that we look at. Uh, we're, disappointing. we're disappointed in ourselves, uh, but we're working on it. So why is Netflix having trouble with subscribers? Their gross additions, which is the number of new customers they take in, is actually on targets. But they're having trouble with churn, which is keeping existing members. Yep. And the reason they're having trouble with churns is they actually raise prices during the quarter. And now there's some arguments on... 
the price raises happened two years ago, and they're just kind of now implementing them on old people, on old members. So is this a grandfathering in or a price raise? Who knows? But uh, it's definitely having an effect on their customers because the customers who are getting hit with the price raises now are dropping off at a higher rate than they expected. And I'll let you talk about why that could be bad. You know, they, they had kind of euphemisms online for this. You know, they acted as if this was kind of vaguely good news for the customers. If you look <laughs> at the little box yeah. announcing the price hikes. Um, but, you know, I think that um, one of the best things to have in a business is pricing power. Whenever we're looking at antitrust cases and antitrust risk, my thought is you want to be not violating the antitrust law, but all Almost. Uh, yeah. you, you want to be able to pass on price increases durably to your customers. This is raising the specter of whether or not they have pricing power. And when you look at pricing power, uh, Americans like to entertain themselves. I imagine most people do around the world. And uh, so they're not going to entertain themselves less. The question is, how good is the competition? Yep. If you have uh, competition that's robust, you're going to have less pricing power. It, you turn to Hulu now, which is growing and competing for new deals. I don't think I have a Hulu. Hulu subscription, I don't really know, uh, but uh, but that's apparently getting a lot better. And Amazon, I would say, is terrific. Uh, streaming services for free, I think it's a great site, and it has very good content. Yeah, so uh, I, Netflix, you know, it costs $10 per month, and I believe the price raises are it's $12 a month. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, I think the average Netflix customer watches like an hour or an hour and a half of TV a day. And I think one of the bulls' arguments was, I, I think that's wow, right. That's I think I think I saw that somewhere. Uh, they, they were uh, there's a lot of TV watch on Netflix, but uh, it, we'll have to go back and check the sets. But it's something really impressive, and. I think one of the bulls' argument was, look, if you've got people, even if they're only watching an hour and a half per week, uh, that's four, six, five hours a month, and they've got unlimited selection, like, what's 10 versus $12 to them, and they've already got it signed up? And it turns out, well, actually, a lot of people really care. As you mentioned, there's growing competition, and if Netflix goes from 10 to 12, they might just go on over to Amazon, where they've got a free video service. Um, uh, individual TV stations are getting better standalone apps, yep. and more and more content you're even able just to find online, but then, in some cases, refers to the individual station, and you see better better uh, streaming there too. And you know one thing they're also competing against is it's easier and easier to pirate uh, anything that's new and piracy is free and you could take something from 10 to $12. Maybe you don't want to pirate at $10 but at $12 you're like, oh, it kind of looks interesting to go pirate. So let's talk about why the stock drop. Uh, super high multiple ch stock. There are some issues with the high multiple but no one's going to claim this of being a value stock. Even today at 85, you're really investing on a uh, on a really uh, growthy future with a lot of operating leverage. Mm -hmm. And the fact that their churn increased on a price raise and that their fixed costs continue to go up, people are now looking at those fixed costs and say, hey, you know, that fixed, co that fixed cost base, if they hit 60, 75 million subs, they, they are going to be very profitable. But if they can only get to 50 million subs and their mm -hmm. churn's a little higher, then that's an issue. Same point works in both directions. Yep. And this is, I, I've even gotten in our notes, this is a me-specific point. I didn't see anyone else say it, but some of their language was very concerning to me. So if you look at Jeff, uh, or sorry, not Bezos, I made this mistake, uh, Hoffman, Reed Hoffman's uh, letter, he blames a lot of the myths. He says, look, the press really hit us hard on these price grandfathering ends. Uh, and he says, look, our Q3 subs are going to be disappointing, but it's because of the Olympics. And he also mentions a tough China regulatory climate. He didn't say and, weather specifically, but it's kind of yeah, the weather category exactly. of excuses. Uh, and, and I find when, as you said, with weather, when company management kind of starts putting the blame on external factors instead of internal factors, I find that's when it kind of raises a big red flag for me. And this isn't the first time. Uh, two or three quarters ago, they missed subscriber estimates 
two quarters in a row, and they blamed credit card switching more to chip-based cards, and that caused issue with subscriber payments. So I think there's a big red flag that they keep putting the blame on external factors. Everybody who deals with risk and uncertainty in real time, every investor, every businessman, every surgeon, military leader, uh, when there is some surprise, they're dealing with that. That that is their job. Yeah, that's not exogenous to their job. It wasn't like, oh, I was winning the battle until they flanked me, <laughs> or you know, the surgery was going great until the, the rupture. You know, the, the dealing with that—that you didn't expect—that is why you get paid so much if you're good. But aside from that, how was the play, Miss Lincoln? Right, so, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we try to wrap everything up with investing implications. You know, I think this reiterates the, there's a lot of opportunity investing in high growth stocks but when you're when you're wrong and things go poorly the downside can come really quickly go ahead i I was just gonna say i i I have such a hard time you know i i don't mind letting these things kind of uh play out sometimes but how you get started paying this much for something you just have to have a very good reason to have a very explicitly specific and high level of optimism that i have rarely you know i I definitely get that, but you can see, like, look, a Facebook. If you think of Netflix as almost the new Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to take over a huge piece of uh, media as Facebook did. It took over a huge piece of the kind of it took over all the social media. If you think Netflix takes over all the cable channels, all of that sort of stuff, or captures a huge chunk, the value is in multiples of its market cap. Yeah. So I can understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I just think a little bit on the power of price anchoring. Previous customers might have been anchored in on 8 or $10 per month. You raise it to 12 Even if they're getting a ton of value, they kind of leave in protest. Before we go on to other topics, if anybody has any good recommendations for Netflix, on write to our uh, email address on podcast uh, at the end because I have never found something good on Netflix. I really struggle to find content. Chris was complaining before the podcast started. He's like, Netflix, not only can I not invest in the stock, I never find anything I like on it. Uh so send him your uh, recommendations. So, Chris, let's turn to the Carmike-AMC sure. merger. And just to be upfront, we're both long Carmike. I think you'll see why as we discuss it. But I'll give some background. In March, AMC announced the deal to buy Carmike for $30 per share. Uh, this was a 20% premium to where shares were trading at the time. So they were at about 25 And what this will do is it'll form the largest U.S. movie chain. Right now, AMC is kind of in a three-way tie with Regal and Cinemark. Carmike is the fourth biggest change, and by buying them, it'll push them up to a clear number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and AMC, they are their majority owner is Wanda, and Wanda's clear strategy for AMC has been Wanda's a Chinese investing conglomerate. Wanda's clear strategy for AMC has been be number one in the world, be number one in every market you're in. So this is a strategic priority for them. Now, so the deal came out. Normally, shareholders are happy with the 20% premium, but two shareholders and some proxy advisor firms have come out and said, whoa, this deal, we think this really undervalues Carmike. We think AMC is getting the best of this deal. And I'll let you talk about why they think AMC is getting the best of it. Well, AMC is getting the best of this deal. And basically, it's a plausible price for the target as a standalone entity. But they're capturing for themselves all of the huge... Uh, cost-saving kind of deal rationale and so forth. And if you look at AMC shareholders, uh, the the point wasn't lost on them. The, yep. the, the AMC shares exploded since this deal was announced uh, because they're looking at all of the merger benefits accruing to the buyer's equity holders. Exactly. So to simplify... 
AMC is buying Carmike for nine times EBITDA, and mm-hmm. we'll just call it EBITDA is- earnings going forward, which is right in line with where AMC shares are trading, with where the peers, with where all the peers trading. So you say, oh, this is a fair price for Carmike as a standalone. But there are $35 million of synergies, which is worth about $300 million when you capitalize it. That's about $10 per Carmike share. And what these shareholders are saying is, AMC, you're taking all of that value for yourself. And you can see that, as you mentioned, in the stock market, because AMC's shares rose by 10%, which just so happens to be about $300 million in value on announcing this Mm -hmm. deal. So AMC is getting all that value for themselves. And shareholders are saying, wait, if you give us some of that value, we'd be happy to sell to you. But right now, you get it all for yourself, and we don't want to sell to you out there. Go ahead. There's no principle at stake here. I mean, this is not a matter of pride or anything else. And AMC, I believe, negotiated well and has represented their shareholders. I'm not a shareholder of theirs, but represented their shareholders well. Uh, but there simply needs to be another side to the conversation. Exactly. They, AMC sh- uh, negotiators did extremely well. They kind of beat Carmike shareholders at this point, And the investors saying, well, we just don't want the deal if that's what the deal is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why are we mentioning here? Obviously, there is an investing implication. Uh, Carmike shares are kind of trading for 31.50, So they're trading above the deal price. And why don't you walk through the game theory of how the what the bid ask is and how it gets split? Sure. Uh, so let me just use approximate numbers because yep. this makes it simpler to think about. Imagine a stock that is worth thirty dollars a share yep. and a deal that's worth another ten. Yep. And so the question is, if there are two entities, how is the ten dollars of deal value between thirty and four dollars a share divvied up? Uh, so, uh, for example, the 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 corporate uh, the, 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 the bid would be established firmly at 30, right? If yep. you say, hey, let's divvy up something, and Andrew, I'd like to divvy this up. I'd like to get 100% for me and none for you. That should be totally satisfactory to me. The other side of the conversation presumably would be at $40. You could say, hey, I'm going to do this deal. It's great. I'll break even. I'll simply give you all of the upside, and that would be 100% of the value going to the target shareholders at about $40 a share. Yep, yep. And, and so the, the, the game theory here is uh, it's kind of like in a game of chicken that the most rational, safety-conscious thing to do is to drink a fifth of Jack and rip the steering wheel off and then jam the accelerator. Yep. And and that's safe because as long as somebody knows that you're doing that and make sure it's really visible that you make sure they see you doing these things. Exactly. So, and, and you'll never you'll never get an accident. And we're seeing the game theory on both sides, right? Because AMC keeps coming out with the strongest language possible that says, oh, this deal is marginal above $30 per share. We've got a backup plan. We don't want this deal above $30 per share. Sure, and they'll even say things like, shareholders, your deal is at grave risk. Like you're at grave risk of losing this premium because we're going to walk away if you vote it down. And on the other side, the big shareholders are saying, we're happy with $30 per share. We think that's a fine value for this company standalone. You've got to pay us more because you want this company. It hits your strategic priorities and your and your shareholders want you to do the deal. So both of them are playing a game of chicken. Go ahead. And, and having watched this a number of times, I believe neither of them, of course. Yep. Uh, uh, AMC is protesting far more than you need to about something that you're not interested in. Yep. Uh, my wife comments that when I'm talking about trucks and a few other uh, consumer products, when out of context three or four times, I've told her I don't really I'm yeah. not I do not need that truck it's something you know the truck's showing up in the in <laughs> usually the about front. a week yeah. later that the truck or the gun or whatever it is is purchased uh, and in this case too yeah AMC if they didn't want to buy the target could simply let the first shareholder vote fail and walked away scot free the yep. next day yep. so they're doing lots of talking about how they don't want to pay more than 30 for a company that doesn't want to pay more than 30 so, 
I think the thing we keep coming back to is the deal makes sense from all sides, yes. right? Carmike shareholders own something that's the number four player in an industry where being bigger is better. Yep. AMC, it makes sense with their strategy. There are tons of synergies and their shareholders support it. It's now a question of price. Yes. And so I think uh, normally we would just say, you're at 40, you're at 30, split, split the, the difference, difference 35, them. walk away. In this case, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think AMC... They control the process. They can kind of split the shareholders a little bit. They, they can do some interesting things. They have a little bit more negotiating power. So I think like a 32.50 or 33, where they keep 70% of the benefits and give Carmike shareholders 30%, I think that makes all the sense in the world and is enough to get this done. I'll let you. Unitary communication helps hugely in negotiating dynamics. So for example, people on the congressional side when they're dealing with the president, constantly defeated, always kind of surprised and disappointed Mm -hmm. because the president has one spokesman. He has an individual perspective. Also in this case, the unitary side, the buyer side, and the deal side is represented by companies. They control the process. So the second they get what they want, it's over. And so from the shareholder side, wanting a higher price, it's less good. So if 35 was fair-ish, then the idea that it would be on the lower half of that probably is probably right. Yeah, and the other thing is like, if shares are if shares are trading for 30 and you think standalone fair value is 30, it's very easy to turn down a $30 share. But then if share, if you go to 31 and fair value is 30, well, then you lose that $1 if you turn that share down. And as you start creeping higher and higher, you kind of, it gets scarier and scarier to kind of stay in that, as you say, drink the fifth and take the steering wheel out because now you're losing more and more value. So I really think yep. 32, 50, 33, we'll see it in the next week or so. I think that's going to get this deal done. We actually crowdsourced uh, deal price estimates in our office. The average came to $33.88 for what that's worth. Yep, yep, that's true. Uh, so I think we've hit everything. Anything else you want to say? I have nothing done. Great, so that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. If you have any feedback for us, or if you want to give Chris a Netflix recommendation, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangedacapital.com. Disclosures, we are both long, Carmike and Chris. I think that's it for our disclosures. That's it. Okay, Uh, we will talk to you guys later this week.